Well, good morning. It's nice to be with you and to have the opportunity to bring the message this morning. Uh, We're going to be continuing in our sermon series in the book of Ruth, and I'm working through the second part of that first chapter. Uh, We're going to be working with the idea of faithfulness this morning, and so I'd like you to have that word in the back of your mind as we look at the text together. But I would begin with this thought. Have you ever had an unreliable vehicle? Do you know what I'm talking about? a college car, a vehicle that you put in park and doesn't stay there, Um, uh, maybe a vehicle with an electrical problem. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. I I drove an old pickup truck when I was in seminary, uh, and I had it for for several years before that. And and every now and then, the truck would decide it was being stolen, and it would turn off the ignition system and flash the theft light in the dashboard. And it didn't matter where I was going or what I was doing. That truck would just leave me right on the side of the road. It was, it was, it was an unreliable vehicle, and it, and it really was. It was awful. And I was, every time I got in that car, I was bitter because I just didn't know how the journey was going to go. I mean, Sarah and I got to the point where if it was more than 10 miles, we would drive the other car. Um, and, and I just wasn't in a financial position to replace it, and so I'm stuck with this horrible, awful truck that would just leave me whenever and wherever. And I was, I was late to some, a couple of really important things that I needed to be on time for. And in contrast with that, have you ever had a really reliable vehicle, one that was so trustworthy you'd get in it and drive across the country without even thinking? Anybody ever had one like that? Um, uh, You might even call it a faithful vehicle. Um, Right now, I've got a Toyota Tacoma, and it is literally the best vehicle I have ever owned in 30-some years of driving. It's faithful. It's reliable. I'll take it on a thousand-mile trip without even thinking. I drive it around town every day. If I've ever had a meal with you or been on a pastoral care visit with you, that's the car I was in. And it's so reliable, in fact, that last Saturday, I got to show you something. I did this. My old truck, my old one, would have stopped right in the middle, <laughs> and then I would have had a lot of problems. But, but not my Toyota. I, I got in it, drove right across that. That's actually uh, County Road 630 in Allegheny County, Virginia. And, and that's a state road that I just drove across. Now, there's a big warning that says don't do this. But if you're going to do it anyway, you should have high clearance. You should have four-wheel drive. And we're not coming to get you. That's what the sign says. And, and so... I know that there's some people in here that are like, why did you do that? But there's a lot of guys who are like, yep. I'd have done it too. My faithful truck. And Webster defines faithfulness as trustworthiness, dependability, adherence to something to which you're bound by a pledge or a duty. And and although I I call my truck my, my faithful truck, the word faithfulness is probably better applied to human relationships. And so I'd like to suggest a different um, example. Yesterday, DBC laid to rest one of our saints, longtime member of this church, part of the Samaritan Sunday School class. Um, He he served and participated, and he was on all the committees, and he, he was really best known for a reflective vest standing out in the parking lot directing parking traffic on a really busy Sunday morning, but he had his, his uh, blaze green, you know, that, that green uh, high-visibility vest. And, and professionally, he was successful in the pharmaceutical world. And then in retirement, 
Um, he worked at Chick-fil-A at Jet Ferry, and you may have run across him. Yesterday at his service, one of the eulogy speakers said it's the only time that somebody delivered chicken strips in a Lexus. But, um, but he was such a, just, just a wonderful servant uh, and partner and, and part of this ministry. And I, I mention Gene Vesna, his name. I, I mention his name not because of all the stuff that he did at DBC and, and not to mark his professional successes, but because of a book he wrote. And the title of it is Dementia of the Mind, But Not of the Heart. Dementia of the Mind, But Not of the Heart. Um, here's, the, here's the cover. And the book is about Gene and his sweet wife Kay and her journey through um, Alzheimer's. Five years ago, we had Kay's memorial service here at DBC. And then yesterday, we laid Jean to rest right next to her out in our columbarium. And as I read this book, as I read through his prayers and his um, sorrows and his, his heartbreaks and the poems that he wrote his wife at different stages of this journey and the struggles that they, they experienced together, all about this journey of dementia, I kept coming back to this idea of faithfulness. And my family has also been touched by dementia. I mean, I know what that looks like as, as each memory disappears for good and you're robbed of stories and you're robbed of time together. And so, as, as, I, as I read that book, and for me it was, a, it was a personal experience reading that, but as you care for the, your loved one, they retreat into a dark hole and, and the special moments are gone. And, and in these circumstances, faithfulness is about doing the right thing, not because you're going to be recognized or not because it's appreciated. And sometimes your loved one doesn't even understand it, but faithfulness is rarely convenient, but it's always the right thing to do to be faithful. And that's, that's the idea that I really want to focus on this morning. Faithfulness means intentionally, thoughtfully, graciously, um, doing the right thing, not because it benefits you, but because faithfulness reflects the heart of God. Faithfulness is part of God's character, and it pleases Him when we too are faithful. And reading about the Vesnas and their story in, in that book, and, and DBC members who, who gathered around them and ministered to them, um, caring for Kay as a matter of honor, as a matter of integrity, um, and upholding the marriage vows in sickness and in health, that book painted a beautiful picture um, of what God intended for relationships. And this church, the, the Sunday school class, in particular, they were so faithful to Gene and to Kay all the way to the end as Alan and I put that stone back over their, their niche in the columbarium yesterday afternoon. Um, and and we, find, we find examples of this kind of faithfulness in Scripture, too. Uh, there's, a, there's a story in 1 Samuel 20, and it's the story of David and Jonathan. And, and King Saul has decided he doesn't like David because David is a threat to his dynasty. And so King Saul resolves to kill David. But because King Saul's son, Jonathan, loved David, the text says that Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. And so as his father began this plot to kill David, Jonathan 
went to David and worked out a signal to tell him that he was in danger. And so David was able to avoid that trap and to get away safely. And it was at great personal cost to Jonathan. And Jonathan did this not because it was convenient and it certainly didn't benefit Jonathan because David would now be in line to become the next king of Israel. But Jonathan did it because it was a matter of integrity. It was the right thing to do. I'd like to take this idea of faithfulness now and turn to our morning text. It's Ruth chapter 1. I'll have the text here, but if you brought your Bible, let me invite you to uh, open that up and follow along. To recap last week, if you weren't with us, the first couple of verses of Ruth chapter 1, there's an Israelite couple named Elimelech and Naomi, and, and they've got two young sons. Um, they're in a little town called Bethlehem, just north of Jerusalem. And for a variety of reasons, they need to leave their hometown. Uh, there have been some crop failures and, and some, need, some need to be somewhere else. And so they left Bethlehem, and they traveled south and east down into uh, the desert to the land of Moab, and they settled there. The, the boys grow up. Uh, they marry Moabite women, and then things take a pretty bad turn. First, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and, and then followed pretty shortly behind that, both of the sons died. Now, in that culture, it was possible to survive as a widow if the extended family stepped in and provided support. But Naomi and her daughter-in-laws are in a foreign country, and there's really not much of a hope that there'll be support for them in the community. And, and Naomi's got this terrible choice. I mean, she's responsible for these two young women. Um, she feels obligated to them, and yet all three are widowed. And so Naomi's got this terrible choice. She can stay where they are and try and figure out how to beg and eke out a living, or she could take her daughter-in-laws and go back to her hometown of Bethlehem and, and just ask for help among her extended family. That's not ideal either, and there's no guarantees either way, but going back to Bethlehem is probably the best option for Naomi, and, and all three women know that. So, okay, so you're all caught up. That was last week's um, message. And, and so now we can really turn our attention to this morning's text. It's Ruth chapter 1, and I'll begin in verse 6. And let's just, let's enter the scene here and use your little bit of imagination as we, as we read, because I, I think being able to picture it will be helpful. Scripture says, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to leave the land of Moab because she'd heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people by providing them with food. And, and given all that's happened, really, that's Naomi's only option just to go back to Bethlehem and, and just pay attention to this, this phrase in the second half there. It's the first little hint that God's about to do something new. It says, the Lord had paid attention to his people by providing food. And I'm not going to spoil next week's message, but pastor will pick that up next week. It's an important part of the story. Um, Verse 7 now, she left the place where she'd been living, accompanied by her two daughters-in-law, and traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. And it's a hard trip that they're facing. And they've barely begun the journey when Naomi turns to her daughters and says, verse 7, excuse me, verse 8, she says to them, each of you go back to your mother's home. 
May the Lord show faithful love to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord enable each of you to find security in the house of your new husband. And she kissed them, and they wept loudly. You see, Naomi's wise enough to know the score. She has nothing to offer these young women when they do get back to Bethlehem because Naomi still has no possessions, no land, no security. Naomi can't even promise them a place to sleep when they arrive. And, and it's fair to also point out that the, the Israelites also have a, a long history of hostility with the people from Moab. And, and so Naomi might be thinking that her relatives and friends in her hometown are not going to be real nice to her daughter-in-laws, maybe best not to have them come along. And so Naomi makes a logical suggestion, go back to your parents. Verse 10, no, they said to her, we will go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. Go on, for I am too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you wait for them to grow up so that you could marry them? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters, my life is much too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand has turned against me. And Naomi in this moment is saying the one thing that nobody really wants to say, there's nothing left for you in this relationship. I can't even provide your basic needs. And it's this beautiful, awful, tragic moment in the text. And you can imagine all of the emotion and all of the grief and the memories of the the sons and and the husband that have passed. And and the three women are standing there. But Naomi can't hold up her end of the relationship. She's got no land, no home, and she has no way to provide for these girls. And and so the three women stand there and, and they know Again, they don't want to say it, but the three women know that three widows with no support, no protector, and no assets um, means a lot of things in a foreign country, and none of them very good. And so Naomi releases her daughter-in-laws from their relationship and from their commitment to her. Verse 14, again, they wept loudly, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And it's in this moment of absolute brokenness that that Orpah, the the other daughter-in-law, sees it for what it is, and she recognizes the wisdom in Naomi's words, and and so she kisses her mother-in-law for the last time, turns her back, and starts walking away. And you can imagine Naomi is watching Orpah walk off into the distance, and she turns back to Ruth, and verse 15, Naomi said, look, Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God. Follow your sister-in-law. And Scripture doesn't record the whole conversation, but you can imagine some of that back and forth as Naomi's explaining it again. She's talking about the economics, and it's the reasonable thing to do, and it's the smart play, and and the logic of just following Orpah, just going. And, And in response, in response, we find one of the sweetest most touching passages in all of the Old Testament, Ruth, verse 16, replied, do not persuade me to leave you or go back and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go, 
and wherever you live, I will live, and your people will be my people, and your God will be my God, and where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried, and may Yahweh punish me and do it severely if anything but death separates you and me. Standing there on the side of this dusty path um, on the way out of Moab, Ruth's words are kind of surprising, a little sharp. Do not make me go back. And it's not like it was half-hearted or hesitating. Ruth is prepared to abandon the religion of her people, and and she's prepared to journey into the unknown with her mother-in-law. And she's prepared to embrace life among foreigners, all for the sake of this relationship with her mother-in-law, even willing to bury Naomi and and someday be buried next to her. And the only thing Ruth can count on in this commitment is hardship and deprivation and uncertainty. And and Naomi is trying to do the reasonable, logical, reasonable thing by releasing her daughter-in-laws and blessing them and and blessing their future. I mean, she loved these, these two young women and then kissing them goodbye to go find a new life somewhere else. Orpah weighed her choices, and she chose a new life and a new family and hopefully motherhood, and Ruth chose to remain a daughter and a caregiver and a helper to Naomi. Ruth chose the unknown where Orpah chose certainty. And it's not just that, because when Ruth made these sets of decisions, she chose Naomi's people over her people, and she chose Naomi's culture over her culture, and she chose Naomi's language over her language, and she chose Naomi's God. And perhaps without even realizing she did it, Ruth chose faithfulness. And as we'll soon see, that, that made all the difference. It's a watershed moment in this story in Scripture. Two ladies now standing alone together on on this road that leads out of Moab up through the desert. And the text ends uh, in this scene in verse 18. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped trying to persuade her. And yet the Spirit of God was already moving in this situation. Naomi has told her to go away three different times, and she's got all these really, really good reasons why Ruth needs to go back where she came from. Naomi even claimed that God's hand was against her and tried to send her away, and yet Naomi couldn't see the very best thing in her life standing there in front of her. And and maybe you're beginning to see what's happening here because you have this faithful, devoted young woman with a spiritual hunger, seeking real religion, seeking authentic relationship, seeking a real God, absolutely committed to her mother-in-law, and and you've got a grieving matriarch who's got physical needs and emotional needs and spiritual needs, and these ladies together face impossible odds, And, and yet that That's where God shows up and shows off in the most amazing ways. And and so the text text continues here in verse 19. The two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. And when they'd entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival. And the local women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? 
Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, she answered, for the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has pronounced judgment on me and the Almighty has afflicted me? And that chapter 1 in the text concludes, verse 22, So Naomi came back from the land of Moab with her daughter-in-law Ruth, the Moabitess, and they arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. I have to wonder how that reunion went as Naomi arrived back in her hometown. She left Bethlehem a decade ago with everything, a husband and a provider and two healthy boys. It's almost got a prodigal feel to it that that she's gone away, she's been in a foreign land, and she comes back and she's absolutely broken. Um, She's got almost nothing. I mean, the only thing that she has in her life of any value is a daughter-in-law named Ruth. And if we're being really honest for a second, if we look back into Deuteronomy, as Israel was prepared to enter the promised land, God said to the people through Moses, you are a holy people belonging to the Lord your God. Do not marry among the peoples that I drive out before you. Don't give your daughters to their sons. Do not take their daughters for your sons, because they will turn your children away from me to other gods. Now, not only is Naomi about as broken as you can imagine, she's brought back proof that she and her husband violated the law of Moses by allowing their sons to marry Moabite women. It's a really tough moment in the text, and it probably felt pretty awkward as Naomi walked back to her hometown. You know, it's easy to praise God when things are going really well. When your 2.4 children are exceptional at everything they do, and your career is thriving, and your relationships are satisfying and fulfilling, It's easy to praise God when your marriage is an extraordinary blessing every day, all day. It's easy to praise God when every time somebody uses the car, they bring it back with a tank of gas full, but that's really not how um, it works. And when things things aren't great, um, it's faithfulness that matters the most. When things are messy and uncomfortable and painful, Um, That's where God shows up and shows up strong in ways that bring glory to His name. And so your, your broken messes and your marriage messes and your family messes and business and professional challenges and friend messes and roommate messes, um, these are the places that faithfulness matters the very most. Because when you're still all in, despite some of the circumstances and challenges that you face, then, then in those spaces, God will use your life and events that you're involved in beyond your imagination to reveal himself to others and to use your life for his redemptive work. And, and the opposite's also true. When you are unfaithful in your relationships, and especially when you're unfaithful to God, then you can't reap the blessings that come from integrity. 
You can't be a conduit that God uses for reconciliation. You can't be an agent of healing, and you don't get a front row seat to watch God draw people to Himself. You see, God's work doesn't depend on you, but your faithfulness does mean that you get to participate. And I, I think about this young woman trudging along behind her mother-in-law from Moab to Bethlehem. It's like 55 or 60 miles. It's hot, it's dry, it's mostly uphill, and they're sleeping on the side of the road every night as they make that journey. I'm not going to spoil the next part of the, the story. You'll have to come back next week. But, but God uses all of the bad stuff, the bad stuff that happened uh, to each of these women in this season to bless Ruth and to bless Naomi and to bless all of the generations that followed them. And so, church, I would ask you a question this morning. How would it look if you had the same kind of faithfulness that Ruth did? How, how would it look in your marriage or, or in your family or in your home if you had the same heart uh, and attitude of commitment? How would this church look if everybody in this room was faithful in serving and in participating and growing as a follower of Christ? What would it look like if you were all in with your time and your talents and your resources and all of the things that form your journey of faith? How would, how would that look? Let me, um, let me close with a couple of observations. First, faithfulness means doing the right thing without knowing what will happen. Pastor Mack was fond of saying, do the next right thing. That's an act of faithfulness. Doing the right thing not because it benefits you, but because it brings glory to God. Second, faithfulness requires perseverance. People talk about, I did a good deed today, but that's, that's not the right attitude. Sometimes we describe here at DBC, discipleship is a long journey in the same direction. Faithfulness works exactly the same way. Doing the right thing, not because it benefits you, but because um, it requires, a, um, sorry, because it brings glory to God. Second point, faithfulness um, I pushed the wrong button. Forgive me. <laughs> faithfulness requires perseverance. And third, faithfulness shapes us. Caring for a loved one with a, a chronic illness is a good example. Consistent, faithful service to others will slowly align our hearts to that of Christ. We won't even notice that it's happening because it's such a long, slow process. Faithfulness shapes us. And so now let me offer this thought um, because it's the reason we're having this conversation this morning. Um, the most important act of faithfulness in the entire arc of human history was when God sent his only son, Jesus, who emptied himself and assumed the form of a slave and took on the likeness of men. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient even obedient to the point of death, even to death on a Roman cross, and that in doing so, Jesus paid the price of sin 
once and for all and provided a way for us to return into right relationship with God the Father. So let me challenge you as we close to reflect on how faithful you've been recently. How faithful have you been in your relationships with other people? How faithful have you been in your relationship to God? And maybe this morning the Holy Spirit is showing you something that you need to work on. Maybe some changes you need to make, some decisions that you need to make. And perhaps you're one of those folks that's just trying to decide what all this stuff means. Or you got some questions about something you heard this morning. Um, If you're ready for a conversation on any of those topics, I'm going to be in the lobby right after the service, and I would love to have a chat with you. I'd love to talk about what God's doing in your life. I'd love to talk about how the Spirit is moving you and showing you some things that you need to change. Let's talk. I'll be right outside. Church, will you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time um, to study your word, to see how you were revealing yourself through the faithfulness of a young widow so many years ago. God, we don't always understand how you're moving in different situations. But Lord, I pray for each of us that we would remember to be faithful even when the circumstances seem difficult. Lord, help us to see how faithfulness to each other and to you allows you to reveal yourself through us. I pray for each person as we leave, Lord. I pray for um, a blessing of peace and uh, an understanding of where you're at work. Of course, in Jesus' name that we pray all of these things. Amen.